It's now time for Nordic on Tap. I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. In this podcast, we'll meet Daryl Jackson, a fellow I worked with in the computer learning industry a few years back. Daryl always struck me as incredibly creative, but also a bit mysterious and self-contained. And then one day he sort of let slip that he had to leave early for a band gig. My antenna went straight up and I said, you mean like a rock band? I just play bass, he said. Bass? You mean like electric guitar bass? At this point, my ignorance in modern music was clearly showing, as I'm sure you can see. But (laughs) I was thrilled. Gosh, here I actually knew a rock musician. But I didn't know much else about the guy. And by the time I asked him if I could maybe go to one of the clubs where his band was playing, he said "Eh, he had decided to hang it up. No more band gigs. But he did tell me about a website, SoundCloud, where I could hear some of his music. And I thought, well, you mean your band's music, right? But what I found online was several pieces that he apparently wrote and produced and played that really blew me away. He was, in those songs, clearly a classically inspired pianist. But then there was some electronica and some other genres, and I thought, man, this guy, this guy is, is he's all of these things, really broad. Fast forward a year or two, and I learned that Daryl had not been playing in any concerts or produced any albums, yet he continues to write and produce songs, like the multi-track ones you hear on a studio-produced CD, produces them one by one. The guy plays guitar, acoustic, electric, keyboards, drums, and sings, literally a one-man band, and then he edits the tracks of each instrument together to make some really cool music. As far as I could tell, and what he does now, I know he offers his songs to the world at large exclusively through the Internet. Now, you've heard one of Daryl's works on this show because he composed our happy-go-lucky Nordic on Tap theme song, which is really called Southbound Train to Reason. I figured it was time both you and I met this guy in his element. So I arranged to meet Daryl at his house south of Seattle in late 2019, and he led me into this garage-sized room, and I, I marveled at the carpet-covered walls and the line of guitars and keyboards and drum sets all around the periphery. And so I sat down with him inside what clearly was his sanctum and said, how did you get started on this musical journey, and what is it that led to this amazing studio you have here? I always like to refer to my music career like this. I, I've been on a 50-year music listening binge <laughs> and never stopped. I've been listening to music since I was six years old and uh, from every genre you can imagine, from Beethoven to the Beatles and everywhere in between. 
and um, came from a musical family. My mom was a piano player as well as my dad. My dad was a professional piano player as well for many years. Actually known as the man of the triple keyboards back in the 40s where he had a Celeste, an organ, and a piano at the same time and he was playing that. It was really interesting. But anyway, um, I was taking piano lessons when I was six, um, a lot of the classics and all that sort of thing, and I had a good affiliation for classical music. And I enjoyed it, but um, as my mother was my teacher, um, she would sit down and play a song for me, and then I would really acutely listen to it and watch her fingers as she was playing. And so I had to sit down and play. Of course, now I understood music theory, I understood how to read music. It was kind of slow to me though, so I found myself very early on, after she'd played it, I'd sit down and I would play the same thing, and I would kind of look at the music to kind of see where I was at, but I was finding myself kind of looking out in space while I'm playing it, and I'm still playing it fine. And so it was, it was obvious to me and my mother that I'm an ear player. I just, just picked it up naturally. So as the time went on, I, I learned, I, went, I took lessons for about three or four years, and then I just kind of gave up on it and started teaching myself and going further into that. And it was really more theory and then technical um, prowess of doing a lot of Hannon and a lot of exercises to get better and better. Oh, God, you played Hannon's. <clears throat> oh, oh, yeah, Hannon. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Good <Yeah>. old Hannon. <clears throat> so um, as the years went by in grade school, and not grade school, but junior high and high school, I was in many bands at that point playing a lot of the standard top 40 that was going on then. And, so and, what, uh, what instrument were you playing then? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I was playing guitar a little bit uh, for mm. about a year or two because I got tired of piano. It wasn't cool to play right. piano in the in the early 60s. So I gravitated towards uh, guitar. And I played that for a few years, again, self-taught. And I knew my theory and I knew the board a little bit. And then all of a sudden, in the late early 70s, when groups like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Moody Blues and all those progressive rock bands had keyboard players. And they go, hey, well, Daryl, you play keyboards. <laughs> so then I switched again back to keyboards, and then I had synthesizers and all that. And I played keyboards and bands for probably 30 years, hmm. off and on in many different bands over the years. Did they tour all around? We or? did. We uh, I was in uh, several different bands um, in the from my 25 to 35 year old days, uh, probably the mid 70s to 80s or so. And uh, I was in a couple of bands that did tours over the Midwest of um, the Kansas Cities and the Dakotas and up north and the, all that sort of thing. And you know, it was literally the Holiday Inns, uh, $250 a week, room and food included, and living out of a suitcase, literally. <laughs> and uh, I did that, interestingly, I did that for about five, six months. We'd go all over, and then I would get tired of it. We'd all quit. I'd move home to Las Vegas, stay with my mom for about six months, get a job, get a, rent all my stuff for an apartment. I get bored with that. I want to go back on the road. I put it all away and go back on the road for another six months and then come back. And I did that for 10 years, <laughs> off and on, off and on. And it gave me such a valuable, valuable experience of, of playing so many different venues and different people and meeting different people. And it was just really a lot of fun, really a lot of fun. So it really gave me the background of my music where I am today, which is a culmination of all those years of, of what I do today. So and that experience playing with all kinds of people who some of you don't may not necessarily know, right? And right, you exactly. made it work and yeah. you integrate. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You said that you transitioned from live performance to recording. Right. So um, in Las Vegas back in the uh, early 80s, I had built a recording studio. It's called Vector Sound Studios. And we had uh, rehearsal studios in there and also a recording setup. Um, we had, back then it was analog, where we had reel-to-reel -reel tape, big two-inch Ampex, <laughs> yep. and uh, 32 tracks, which was a big deal back then. And um, I had the, the studio for about two years, but I was able to learn a lot of the recording techniques back then with uh, 
engineers that I was working with that I had hired come in to record people and all that. So it really gave me that that depth and breadth of recording that I got just bitten by that I just loved to, to, to go through that whole process. So that was kind of the start. And then um, over the years, I kind of dabbled in my own music. Um, I've always played other people's music, as most performers do in a lot of ways, uh, top 40, whatever. But um, when 8-track reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape decks came out, as the Tascam actually, I remember, um, uh, 488 or whatever it was, and I, w I started breaking down my own tracks and, and, and doing my own music. And that was you know, over the years, probably 15 years or 20 years ago or so, you know, it seems anymore. And then, of course, it progressed into the digital realm and all that sort of thing. But um, since I was here in Seattle, I've been here about 15 years now, and uh, a member of a couple of major bands that played a lot of the Taste Tacoma by the Seattle areas and events and all that sort of thing. In 2010, I just kind of got tired of playing other people's music and the adulation of playing clubs, and that was okay, but it really wasn't as fulfilling anymore than my own music was. So right. I decided to, to kind of get out of live performance altogether and, and, and devote all my musical time to, to my own music and then um, just about three years ago to, to bring that to a, a point that I decided to do something with my music because a lot of friends would say hey well thanks for the CD and your music is great but what are you doing with it and I really didn't know what I was doing with it <laughs> so that spurred me on to get my own domain, domain site and website built and publish some of my music and get myself out there, including internet, radio, and everything else, and it's been a great ride just for the two years now, the, the exposure that I've gotten, and it's just a, today's, what you can do by technology today as a single individual, it's just amazing. I, I mean, we would have never been able to do this 20 years ago, right. you know, so I can actually get my own mu music published, and I get it heard by thousands of listeners that I would have had to have a record contract to do that, so. Right, and so you never <clears throat> really published a CD, an no. album, yeah, big never time. did. Right, never did. And yet, you're you're heard all over the world. I am. I am. Yeah, through the internet radio for sure. So, I've toyed about doing an album, but it's such a a long process to get um, songs collectively in one place. As where for me, <clears throat> anymore, it's been more of showing my versatility as a musician, yeah. rather than you know a lot of musicians you hear once you hear them, everything else they do kind of sounds the same. Yes, which is good to yes. be consistent. But for me, it's my consistency is more in the structure of the music that I do, but the genres change from classical rock progressive to instrumental to whatever. And it's important for me to show that versatility so when I'm being looked at by a potential record company or whatever the case, say, well, I can see he's really versatile. And we can capitalize on some of those things rather than just say, I'm a country artist or I'm a rock artist. Right. It's not like that. So maybe it's detrimental, but I don't know yet. <laughs> so, so do you feel you really are? Um, I mean, a lot of the reasons you cited seemed personal as to why you did it that way. But you mentioned being looked at by recording studios. Yes. And so are, do you... Are you still aspiring to be picked up in some way? I am. Um, so there's a new service, I don't know if I should mention, it's called Music X-Ray. And what mm -hmm. that does is there the everybody subscribes to this. Um, you can submit your music to record companies that are all over the world. And what they do is every week or so they give you the particulars of what they're looking for. Be it um, they want to look for music that's going to be in, used in an NFL commercial or a, a regular commercial, and they pay anywhere from $50 to $5,000 for using your clip. And that if you do that and they like your music, there's a potential record deal there as well. So <clears throat> I feel I've been picked up uh, by and hold as far as a couple of my songs, which is very exciting for me to have them held. It means they're 
considering them. Yes. And out of, you know, you can imagine thousands of, of submissions that people do that if one of my sons get even held, I'm very pleased. <laughs> when they do something, they're not even more so. But So anyway, the opportunity again with technology today of having that availability is still getting myself out there. It's all about exposure. Yeah, it sounds like this is kind of almost the digital version of having an agent. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Huh. That's, that's cool. Which I can drive myself in those terms, um, so it works out real well. Right, right. And you're not expending a lot of money and energy and time. No, it's not It's not expensive. Yeah. Uh, one more point I'd like to make about that, and my uniqueness, Eric, is, is that um, you can imagine that most people that are submitting music today are <clears throat> are going to be more current music, which is, you know, I wouldn't say hip-hop, but it's certainly more of the, the boom, 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 all kind of thing and all that sort of, you yes, know, right. which I don't particularly do because I want to be different and unique. So when it comes to a song like Ode to Canada, for instance, that um, it's it's unique in that, number one, it's all it's an instrument being played. As were a lot of musicians today, they're not playing instruments. They're, they're, they're putting loops together of things they hear. So the musician today is more of a audio specialist rather than a musician in those terms. And I know a lot of people would probably uh, debate that. But for me, and I've actually seen some of these record companies look for, they say very distinctly, no loops. We want real instruments. And I'm happy that, that I'm, I'm staying to my guns of playing instruments as opposed to doing loops. Now, I do a combination of both, but it depends. A lot of, like Ode to for instance, is very pure in that other than some strings, it's a piano. And that's what the difference is that you can imagine. They're not getting many of those, and so it's going to stick out. Yes. And, and not like a sore thumb, but it's going to stick out to be noticed. And it may not be for that project, but maybe it's for another project. And um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of my mode there. So I, that brings up something I've always wondered about is uh, I know that CDs and you know, pr produced uh, albums um, <clears throat> have you know lots of tracks and a certain sound and I've always wondered then um, what is or isn't present for that musician then to give a live performance and if you're talking about these people who put together loops could they give a live performance yeah. on a on an instrument? Um, probably not. <laughs> or, <laughs> or they'll have to hire a lot of musicians to play it. Um, so they cheat a little bit where they would have a, a laptop on stage, which a lot of people do, and maybe it's not cheating. And they'll do a, a portion of the song, maybe 50%. The rest of it, they'll do live instruments right. to, to, to duplicate what they were doing in the studio. Right. So, huh, wow. Yeah. I'm certainly familiar with that with people who uh, might be hired to, to play a wedding and they have right. you know background tracks. Exactly, and, right, same, right. same thing. Uh, you know, back in the day when we were in the recording studio, you had, you had to play instruments. That, there was no right. anything else like that. So that's the old school and that's kind of where I was brought up in. Back when, when you did a song, you had to play your part beginning to end with no mistakes. <laughs> if you made a mistake, they actually had to cut the tape and cut it out or right. redo it. Right. So it was very, very different today where, as you all know, certainly I can do an eight-measure bass line, and I can dupe that and copy and paste it all the way through the song. So I don't have to do the bass all the way through the song. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember so, when I took a recording class, there were, if, if, if the song was otherwise played pretty well and you were happy with it, but there was a section... They we're talking about something called punching in and yes, punching out. That's right. So we, they kind of you play yep. along with it, yep. and then 
it starts sampling yep. you yep. directly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, that was punch in, punch out for sure. But today you don't need to do that necessarily. No, you other don't. Ways to do, so, right. Yeah. So it's an exciting industry to still be in today, um, even though I bring some of my old school values to it. So tell me about your Scandinavian connection. So I'm from the Netherlands as part of my uh, background, but my ex-wife uh, was from Norway. A lot of her relatives had moved to Minnesota, which was kind of a standard yep. follow-through for that. And uh, she was in a little town called uh, Grand Marais in Minnesota, up near the Canadian border. Oh, I know. Oh, I have been in Grand Marais. Yes, yeah, yes. It's, it's a small little town, but yep. very quaint. And uh, I didn't meet her there, but that's where she was from. But So she brought as well a lot of those uh, Scandinavian values to our, our relationship as well. And um, some of her cooking and, and church and things that we did, it was it was kind of encompassed in all that. Yeah. You, what kinds of things do you remember eating? Oh, um, the that potato pancake thing, left. Left, left so? Yeah, left, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Did she make yeah. a lot of oh, that? Oh, she did, yeah. absolutely. She just told me she made it the other day for my daughter. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> did she make... Uh, Christmas time, these little curled uh, crumb caca things, they're kind of crunchy cookie she things. She does, I don't know what they call them. Right? Yeah, crumb cakes is oh. how it translates. Okay, yeah, I remember yeah. those. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of labor intensive in my view. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any effect on kind of where you went with music? Um, yeah, and I could probably tie that in a little bit to uh, Ode to Canon in that, um, you know, it's interesting with that kind of a background and, and kind of a mindset that taking an old classic that was done by Pachabell, of Canon and C, if they're Canon and D, it was that, um, you know, kind of thinking back in those uh, cultures of the Scandinavian eras and thinking about you know, that land and how beautiful it is out there. And then kind of letting my mind travel into that and taking a known melody and kind of adapting my feel to that. And that kind of brought it to light, for instance. So when I listen to that song, I can close my eyes and I can imagine myself in the, you know, being in a boat going down those great areas, you know, how beautiful it is. And uh, so that's kind of my time. yourself that that's a, that's a source of improv that that you do let your imagination go and absolutely um absolutely it's, it's I can't say I'm one of those that wake up at two in the morning and have to jump up and go write a song right right <laughs> um it's more that they you never know when they're going to come to you and uh, I think it's more being on the fly to be able to capture it whenever that happens to be and so a lot of times I'll come in my studio and I'll sit down at the piano and I'll just play with no preconceived idea and just kind of see what I can do. If I find some melodies that I really like, then I kind of keep that going. Another time I'll come in, I'll keep that memory and I'll do a little bit more and add it and then it kind of grows up to become a song. Yeah. So, but when I create it, um, it's not like, um, oh, I got this great idea and I want to go do that. That's very rare. It's more I need to hear things that would inspire me to do. So being with the keyboards, with uh, having over a thousand sounds available, I can sit here for an hour and go through hundreds of sounds when I land on one, I go, wow, that's great, I love how that feels, and then I can kind of build on that, and that's how a lot of that is played. 
and of course gear having my acoustic guitar and just kind of jamming on it and, and that sort of thing. Why don't you describe some of the, as we go around your studio here, sure. some of the instruments you have. Yeah, okay, so um, I've got guitars that I've had over the years that they all have individual sounds. It's interesting, I've always had people say, well, why do you have so many guitars when um, only one's going to be played? And I go, well, there's a characteristic of each guitar. Is, as you all know, there's kind of the Stratocaster, which was a Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and people like that that always played that guitar. Or there, there was uh, Led Zeppelin with Jimmy Page that always played a Gibson. Five or six here that, again, have different uh, characteristics. I have four-string basses and five-string basses, uh, depending on what I want to use at any given time. My keyboards, which you can see over here, I've got uh, four different keyboards uh, for variations of things I like to do. They have great, great sounds. And then over in the corner there, I've got my uh, electronic drum set, which is really great, where I add my own drums to my own music, as well as drum loops. So, and give you real quick, for instance, if you had a drum loop that's just a kick and a snare, but it's, it's um, perfect timing, then I can add the fills and the crashes when I want to it, so it works out real well. And right. then on the computer, of course, I use uh, Pro Tools, which I record all my music on and uh, get it down to either Wave or MP3 or whatever is needed. We talked about Ode to Canon, and I know you also have done a, Rend um, rendition. a, a rendition of Green Sleeves. Yes. How did that come about? Well, I'm almost in the same token. Uh, yeah, interestingly, for Greensleeves, uh, and they kind of work for both um, in, in some fashion, but Greensleeves specifically, that when I start the song out, it has nothing to do with Greensleeves. It's just me improvising a feel. And I do that for about a minute where it's really beautiful and it's, it's nice, and then it kind of morphs into the main theme of Greensleeves. Another notable thing with both songs, Eric, is that when I play these, um, I'm playing them, I put the recorder on, hit start, and I play it all the way through in the end. It's, it's improvised right away. It's true improvisation. So what you're hearing is a captured moment. It's not a preconceived, let me see this first section I'm going to record, make that right, and I'm going to do the second section. It wasn't like that. Put the, put the, the, in fact, there was nothing going on, I just played the piano. To how I felt it, and I felt it from that three minutes from beginning to end, with no. I, there's a mistake in there, but I'm. I would not redo that because I captured a moment, and that mistake is so fleeting. And for me, Eric, it gives it character. Yes. It's not a blatant mistake. It's a. It's a kind of what for they call an, an overnote, where you just kind of grabbed a D instead of a D sharp kind of a thing. Right. But it, to me, it gives a character. It was a real instance. And people kind of today in a lot of digital music are steering away from that experience because they can't do it. They don't know how to play those instruments that way. Not everybody, of course. So um, that was my idea between both songs and um, Greensleeves of, of taking into that and um, taking that whole three minutes worth of music. When people hear that, they kind of, when they close their eyes, it just takes them away. And that's the idea. That's what I'm after, to get you in the same mindset I was in when I did it. And you're hearing it live basically right what i did right 
So, so that's what I mean. It just does sound like that. It's as if you're hearing it like it's all one Absolutely. performance, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One performance. So if I sat down and played right now, it wouldn't be the same, but it would be similar in those terms. And then adding uh, some orchestration, orchestra background to that, some right. strings to to enhance it, and a cello, which I'm a big fan of, and the cello sounds on the keyboard, I love cellos, which are yeah. very, very good. And so I do a little play in the song where the cello takes the main lead and the piano is the background. So they kind of take turns, and that was again the, the effect and the idea of the song of getting a little more interesting to add. So this all uh, borns out of my classical roots. I love classical music. Uh, I never grew up to be a classical player, but um, this is my way to kind of marry together the, the classics and the classical feel with more um, progressive rock music these days. And it's not new. A lot of people do it. Um, and so my idea is a classical piano, funk bass, um, hip-hop drums and uh, um, rock guitars and try to mesh all the because I can play all those in those kind of yeah. fashions and yeah. then make a song with all that stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Or take it uh, to another extreme as I said and just do a song with just piano and some strings and that's it. So I'm really trying to show the versatility. So are there any classical pieces you especially are enamored with, or, or artists, composers? Oh, it's a long list. Oh, I, I would have to say um, Rachmaninoff, one of my most favorites, um, the Romantic era, and of course uh, Beethoven for sure. I just think he's so so great. I, you know, there's so many of them that I and I can't uh, point out any one particular piece because they're all just part of that. I spend a lot of time listening to classical music. I just love it. Yeah, it just gives me. I can hear a classical piece over and over and over again and I hear new things all the time. Unlike today's music, you hear it three or four times, you've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like the, the intricate melodies of Bach. Sometimes. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Bach's another, yeah. yep. And then absolutely. Mozart's got his own yep. grand style. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, and then there's the percussive people like Chopin and Grieg yeah. and oh, Liszt. Yeah, Grieg's great too. Chopin was a crazy man. <laughs> he was a crazy man. I hear yeah. Liszt would do these it, performances too. for him too. fine gentlemen and ladies, yeah. and he just was all over the place. <laughs> it's hard to imagine back in those days, in the 1800s or whatever, the 17s and 18s, that you know there was no cell phones or TVs or anything, and they had all their time to devote to that and. I can't imagine writing a score for a, a hundred instruments and then playing the piano on top of that, and it just absolutely just boggles the mind. Yeah. Uh, boggles the mind. You know, where would they be today if they had all this at their hands? You know, kind of a thing. I bet they'd be more purists and just play piano. <laughs> so fast forward into bands you feel affected by or, or artists uh, for influences. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, again, after all the years of being a, on a listening binge, um, I go through periods of whatever I, I like to listen to more anymore today. It's been kind of like chill music, ambient music, where I don't have to concentrate on the music. It's just kind of background for me. Because if I, a lot of times as a musician, when I hear music, I'm laboring over it because I'm hearing it. I When I hear live bands, I, I'm checking out each player and how they're doing. I can't just, why don't you just relax and enjoy the music? Right, right. <laughs> Sometimes that's hard. But um, my influences uh, certainly uh, over the years of growing up in, in the rock era and all that sort of thing and in the Led Zeppelin, the Beatle days and all that sort of thing and really enjoying that. But then getting more into the progressive rock, which uh, the, the Emerson Lake and Palmers and, and Moody Blues and Yes and all that were progressive in Kansas that were, um, they really established music as a progressive thing rather than just a rock and roll.
and I really went down that road a lot, um, and for my own music as well. And, but bands I've been in over the years were playing a, a good mix of dance music because that's what we did. We were playing clubs, so we had to play dance music. Right. It wasn't really musically, I call it musically inept because it really wasn't about music. It was about the dance beat, you know, kind of a thing. But for my own music, uh, fast forwarding today, as you said, that um, I, I listen to a lot of classical music, again, um, during the workday because I don't have to concentrate on it and I can hear, hear music. If I listen to vocals, I can't get that's distracting to me. So instrumental I strive more towards because it allows my mind to freely do whatever else I want. But as far as my own music and inspiration, um, it's hard to say because it depends on if I pick up a guitar, <clears throat> like an electric guitar, then I'm thinking more of rock because that's the kind of feel that it is. And if I sit down at the piano, a lot of times it just gravitates towards classical feel <laughs> and more melodic and all that because of the piano. Um, bass turns out to be just a bit more funk. I can put in a drum patch and or a drum loop and just a kick drum, kick drum and just kind of play funk bass to it and just enjoy that. So once I do those different things, they all inspire me to try and find some cohesiveness in all the instruments to maybe come up with a song. So why don't you show me your amazing editing suite over here, all these computer monitors and what looks like a software-based soundboard or equalizer with all these tracks. Have you ever seen Pro Tools before? Not, I've, okay. I've certainly heard of it, but not, I, I haven't seen it. I don't know if you can see, with all these inserts up here, Yeah. so you've got all your EQs for any, any particular channel that you're going to work with, so um, here, you know, you can adjust these, your EQs, from yep. lows to highs, and um, actually, um, during the recording, I can record the movement of that, should I want to change it, while it's, while it's being played back, hmm. and records that, kind of like automation, you know what that right. is? So it's automation with EQ as, as well, which is also built in. So spending a lot of time with just one track of doing all those things, depending on what you're doing, you know, it just it just goes crazy. It's just so a little bit. Anyway, it, it, um, the vocals, interestingly, I did it like three times. So I'd sing the vocal, I'd sing it again, and I'd sing it again. And you sang the harmony to it. And I saw the harmony. So the main vocal, I sang three times. And there's enough differentiation between that to make it sound fuller. Right. Because I just sing it by myself, it doesn't work. Almost like more than one person singing. Absolutely. You know, Anya yeah. does that. She, she dips her voice like 20 times to make it sound. That's so why it's so... That's why the way you hear it. So then I did a harmony, and I did that three times. I did another harmony, I did that three times. So I've got about six tracks, <laughs> three, six, nine tracks or so of vocals that are just kind of intermixed through it. So amazingly, this isn't your day job. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I still work in the uh, computer industry and have for 35 years now, and I have a Monday through Friday 8 to 5 job. And it was important for me to have this to come in here and get away from all that and just have everything at my fingertips anytime i want to pick a guitar bass keyboards anything i want to do it's all right there you know right not to mention everything i have on here so uh, it's just really fulfilling for me <laughs> to have all this and that is daryl jackson who you can read more about on his website at daryl jackson music all one word, J-A-C-K-S-O-N, music.com, as well as listen to a number of his works posted on SoundCloud. That's also all one word. And maybe someday you'll hear Daryl's music in a movie, just as you're hearing his music at the beginning and end of every podcast, which is soon to become a global phenomenon. 
with your help, of course. Daryl is yet another example of someone with a story that deserves to be heard. Do you have one you'd like to tell? Know of someone with a compelling story? Drop me a line at nordicontap at gmail.com and follow us on our Facebook site. I'm close to launching a website with an index to all our shows, such as the one of a Danish folk musician, Alfred Morten Højrup, one on the Norwegian bunad industry, uh, one on the dark underside of Bergen where Norwegian noir fiction takes place. And one about a Seattle-based fashion designer, Madison Leyren, who has really come into her own lately, sewing COVID masks with flags from countries from around the world, including, of course, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Sápmi, and Finland, at norskmask.com. I wouldn't leave my house without my Norwegian flag mask, that's for sure. Our shows are hosted at Nordic on Tap, all one word, dot podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, dot com, or find them through your favorite podcasting service, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. Please do drop me a line if you have any feedback, comments, and thoughts, nordicontap at gmail.com. I will call out a listener who emailed me recently, Tom from Spokane, who shared with me a contemporary Norwegian rock song, Karantene, about living at home during this time of COVID quarantine. According to the song's lyrics, Norwegians are sick of watching Netflix movies, eating frozen pizzas, having a shortage of toilet paper. (laughs) Sound familiar? And as the singer finally says in the chorus, I think I'll just go wash my hands. Funny song, good advice. That's our podcast for this time. You now know our theme song was composed and performed by the amazing Daryl Jackson. I'm Eric Stavney. Till next time on Nordic on Tap, Viseas. Mm-hmm.